And one of the biggest challenges is anybody who might be with us might be so demotivated and demobilized by looking around them that they lose that sense of, I have a meaningful chance to shape my community in the direction that I want to see it shaped. So I think projects and programs that reach out to those people and help them connect with one another and lock arms and do something positive, offering an alternative vision of what do politics look like locally? What does mutual aid look like locally? What does showing up for one another look like locally? What does welcoming new people into our community look like locally? Getting those folks together is, is really critical. Hello, this is the Great Battlefield Podcast. I'm Nathaniel G. Perlman. A great political battle is being fought right now between progressives and the forces of reaction on the other side. This show is about the political entrepreneurs and other progressive leaders who are finding new or improved ways to fight. My guest today, Kevin Pajanowski, is Vice President of Digital Organizing Services at Movement Labs, which is a movement incubator and digital consultancy. They say they use technology and experimentation to stop fascism and build progressive power. Kevin has built a career at the intersection of technology and organizing, working in a variety of areas. So we caught up on his path and what Movement Labs is up to currently. If you're interested in digital organizing, you should listen. So after a quick word from my sponsor, my interview with Kevin at Movement Labs. Check out the large, detailed, and high-quality political data graphic posters from Time Plots. Our visual history of the American presidency, for example, lets you see the Clinton, Bush, Obama, and Trump presidencies in full context. Time Plots Library includes visual histories of the United States House, the United States Senate, the Supreme Court, and the Democratic and Republican parties. Find them all at www.timeplots.com. Use the code BATTLEFIELD for a discount. Kevin, would you mind introducing yourself and giving me a quick biography? Hi, yes, I'm Kevin Pajanowski. I am the Vice President of Digital Organizing Services at Movement Labs, which is a movement incubator and digital consultancy. And I am a longtime local and state level community and digital organizer uh, with a background in, on the electoral side, as well as the issue and year-round community organizing side. Sometimes I'm amazed to find out that things like that are actually professions, even though I <laughs> obviously talk to a lot of people in that space. Can you just tell me a little bit about how you grew up and set yourself on a path that gets you to where you are right now? Sure. I grew up at the western edge of Fairfax County in northern Virginia, and I had a lot of, you know, well-financed public institutions in my childhood, from public schools to public university we had a lot of good support for things like education that wasn't equally distributed. What high school did you go to? I went to, I went to a selective enrollment public magnet school called Thomas Jefferson uh, High School for Science and Technology. Yeah. There's a few of us knocking around this space. It's kind, of, it's kind of a little controversial these days as they've changed some of the rules for getting in, right? Yeah, I think that's right. Like I said, it's ostensibly public, right? It's a, it's a public institution. It's meant to be public. 
but um, access is a different story, right? It's, you know, who is taking prep classes to take an exam in eighth grade and who is through the whisper network of their friends, knowing the types of activities to get involved with in middle school to, to prepare for, for high school. It's really kind of outrageous, actually, the amount you hear about these things, people prepping for elementary school interviews. It's been considered a great high school, a selective high school. What was your experience there like? One thing that I think was really positive for me is that I am unapologetically someone who's really enthusiastic about what I'm passionate about. And I think there are some environments where young people are encouraged to look like they don't care or act like they don't care. And those would have been really hard environments for me. And I'm really glad that I was into a lot of different things. I was into foreign languages. I played soccer. I was the worst player on a very, very good high school soccer team. And that is arguably some of my first organizing experience. The tail end of my high school experience, Facebook was available to, to some high schools. And I was building out Facebook events and doing turnout to these high school soccer games to get hundreds and hundreds of folks showing up to these events, all wearing the same color. So I was just enthusiastic about a lot of things. And I think that was normal. And the best football player and the best soccer player was a Dungeons and Dragons nerd as well. And I think that environment was really positive for me. You didn't go that far away going to UVA, right? Correct. One step in between was a, another kind of public support of my, my path that I really believe in was I, I participated in a public scholarship sponsored by the U.S. Congress and the German Bundestag to study abroad in a small town in Germany as a gap year between the two. So there's a volunteer host family in Germany who I'm still really close to until this day who took me in as their fourth child, went to school in German all day, and uh, had a really positive experience there. So I went a little farther afield first and then, and then came back to public educational institution, University of Virginia locally. Sounds like you recommend a gap year like that? I am pro gap year for people who have the opportunity as a way to better understand oneself, perhaps save the money going down the wrong path in college of something that you thought you were interested in, but you're not really. With the astronomical costs of higher education, if you have the ability to do some work or some exploration or some self-reflection and self-knowledge, I think you jump into college and having figured out a lot of the things that people figure out in the first couple of years of college at tens of thousands of dollars a year in tuition and, and room and board expense sometimes. What did you major in? There was a, a politics program at UVA that was a six-person Oxford-style seminar sitting in a, a small room with a professor, so it was called Politics Honors. Did that for that was one of my majors, and my other major was global development studies, which is an integrated interdisciplinary look at international development. I got the sense that there's tech in your resume too, and in your interest. How does that fit in? When does that come in, and where does that thread pull from? Yeah, I think coming out of college, I basically had the worldview of we just need to keep on innovating and growing as a society and we're going to get there, right? We're going to get where we need to get. Things aren't right right now, but we just need to innovate and tech innovation is going to be part of that. So I had a real worldview of I'm really interested in social entrepreneurship was kind of the buzzword there. My first role out of college was working at McKinsey, which is a management consultancy, um, was in the news a lot recently, especially as part of Pete Buttigieg's work history 
And immediately after that, I joined an early stage education technology startup and um, really worked alongside a lot of software developers there, building software, understanding the needs of the end user. And I loved a lot of aspects of that, of working to understand where should we go with this technology? How can it actually help people do what they're trying to do in their days? When I talk to activists on the left, and I've mentioned this to other people, going into management consulting isn't always honored, especially in a sort of anti-capitalist undergraduate mindset that some people come from. But I've also been impressed by a lot of people who've had that kind of training and have taken something from it. What's on balance your evaluation of the time you spent there? I didn't have the idea at that time that I was a part of the left or a part of the progressive movement. And looking back, it was important to me developing my ability to work and communicate at a senior level and to shape new ideas and to get things done. But I do think that there are very well-founded criticisms of every you know, major professional services firm and the types of clients that they take on. On balance, I think it advanced my ability to work on things that I care about. And I would also honor the critiques that, that anybody might have of the real world impact of different tech firms, consulting firms, even ones that might have pretty decent public reputations uh, when you really dig under the hood. What type of sourcing practices are they involved in? Who are the clients they're serving, et cetera? Is it true you were, had a product role at the educational software? Yes, that's right. To me, an important, interesting role, was it for you? Yes. And what I think about product management, when I try to define, you mentioned at the beginning these roles, it's like, who, who would have thought this is a full-time job to do this? But the way I really think about it is on one side of the fence, you're working with people who are building technology, the designers, the developers, data folks, et cetera. And on the other side of the fence, you're working with the people who are using technology. And they typically speak very different languages. And we see this throughout our space, right? Organizers speaking one language, engineers and data people sometimes speaking another language. So I really enjoy helping to be that translator and that convener of a strategy that bridges those two different languages to something meaningful. I really appreciated that. I'm an intensely curious person and I love learning more about any new technology, any new space. And I think that was really interesting to me, whether it was learning how to write some SQL to be able to build a Periscope dashboard for the team, or whether it was understanding the ins and outs. I was the product lead building a text messaging product back in in 2014 timeframe, and just understanding more of the ins and outs of APIs and telephony, all of the ways that we communicate with people on their phones, I thought was very interesting. When I listen to you talk about your path here and about your enthusiasm for things that you're interested in, it makes me think that you're a pretty confident person in your decisions and in your capabilities. Is that true or did you experience self-doubt at all along the way here? I think everybody has to experience self-doubt all along the way. I think one of the ways we tend to talk about stories and, and careers, and it's kind of the American mindset, is beginning, middle, and end, and there's always a happy ending. But I think I've also had a lot of messy middles. And I think 
trying to find a home and trying to find what the work is for me has always been something that has led to self-doubt and, and led to this question of what is my role? What is my place? Where do I have something to share with the world? And I think I've asked that very, very many times. Um, yeah, I can dive more into that. Is there some kind of tech firm called that worked on social movements technology that you were with for a while? What is that? Yeah, that's a so there's a nonprofit called Social Movement Technologies where I would say I had the chance to work most deeply on this question of how do we understand where our base is online and how to move them into collective action? How do we understand where our target is online, potentially in an organizing campaign, and how do we threaten their position? and the strategic connection of online and offline tools. So I was a nonprofit that focused primarily on coaching and training. Who ran that? So Hannah Roditi is, helped to co-found it 10 years ago as the executive director, a tremendous amount of respect for the scrappy way in which she willed this organization into existence, into being a real resource to a lot of grassroots movement organizations. How big is it? There's about six, six or so full-time people and a, a roster of maybe 30 additional folks who coach or train or support language interpretation. They do a lot of global work with global movements as well. So people who are part of the staff union, but do part-time work because they're working full-time at another movement organization and they're sharing some skill or knowledge they have on a part-time basis. And then they are coaching, training a thousand plus organizing staff, digital staff from grassroots organizations each year. What was your role? I was the North America lead. I joined right at the beginning of the pandemic. So I was leading up both the outreach to movement organizations in North America, as well as the coaching and training and digital organizing support work that we were doing with those organizations. And, and Hannah had very much shifted to coaching and supporting the global staff. At SMT, they had uh, staff in other regions of the world, in the Philippines, in Kenya, supporting movement organizations on their own continents, on their home continents. And she very much had her eye toward that global team. So I was holding down the North America side of things. So can you give me an example of an engagement that you had there? What was the movement organization that you worked with? What exactly did you do? Because I still trying to yeah. understand what you and this nonprofit did. Yeah. One of the organizations that I have been closest to just throughout my history is the set of folks who are working to end money bond in Illinois. And there are a couple of ways that SMT really engaged with them over the course of that campaign, which successfully passed a statewide end to money bond in January 2021, defended it from right-wing attacks in fall 2022 legislative cycle. And it actually is going into effect next month after clearing the final legal objection. And so that ranged from running online ad campaigns and texting campaigns at a large scale in key districts to get what ended up being 10,000 plus residents of Illinois to take part in this campaign, to call or write their legislator, to show up at a lobby day in the state capitol in Springfield. And that was highly targeted based on who are the legislators we actually need to move. It also involved longer term coaching and infrastructure building with the coalition, setting up reasonable cost tools that would allow them to engage and re-engage those 10,000 plus people on a regular basis with their own staff capacity and time. 
So it was both direct implementation work, but also coaching work to build the infrastructure in the long term in the coalition and in the anchor organizations who held down the coalition. Were those tech tools things that were built by social movement technologies or were they off the shelf things or what were you using? They were off the shelf tools that are affordable and effective for grassroots progressive organizations. So tools like Action Network or Spoke, um, I think are often good options for that size and sophistication of organization that they were working with. What was the biggest organization that you worked with? Every major union was sending folks to our trainings or um, every major national advocacy organization was sending folks to our trainings as well. And I would say the focus was on people who are doing organizing on the ground and figuring out digital tools to support that. And sometimes that tended to be more the state chapter of the national organization or the local chapter of the national organization than the national staff member. Why'd you leave there? I love and am very passionate about coaching and training. And had a hunger to get back in the arena and get closer to the implementation of campaigns. So when you're coaching or when you're training, my experience is the output during the day tends to be slides or conversations. And when you're implementing campaign, when you're running campaign, the output during the day tends to be voter contacts, volunteer shifts, those types of things. That was a big reason that I was really excited to get back to this side of the house at, at Movement Labs. And I think there is one kind of touch point or milestone that was a little bit before all of the cash bail work that I think is really important to how I think about this work or how I got into it. What are you referring to? So I was a part of a, a prison education program. Even as I joined that prison education program, I was really curious about, and I thought at a intellectual level, mass incarceration is a problem. We need to innovate our way out of it. But it was the first day going inside of a jail that I got really clear at a gut level, something is deeply wrong with this system. And I need to be working not just on the services that are happening inside this jail, but I need to be working on the systems that have people incarcerated here that kind of is the moment that set into motion, unraveling that whole worldview of we're on the right track, we just need to keep going, to there's a real fight, there's something really at stake and, and I have to be a part of, of it. And that led me to just a bunch of volunteer organizing locally to me in, in Chicago that eventually led me to get involved with the movement to end money bond in Illinois. How did you come across the job at Movement Labs? Good question. Um, I think I'm very passionate about online communities and listservs. I think they're so powerful at connecting people with shared interests. Don't remember which one it was, but it must have just been one of those cool listservs where people get together, uh, you know, a Radcoms, a Progress Files type listserv. There was a job listing? Yeah, that's right. And what was the job that was listed? It is basically what I would say is one part program development. So we've got an advocacy team, we've got a Black-led organizing team, very awesome and talented folks on those teams who lead grant programs, who lead outreach and work with C3s, C4s, Black-led organizations, people who are doing organizing work year-round to figure out how can we best support them to do outreach. That's kind of one side of the house is the program side. The other side of the house is the outreach side, sales, partnership development to political campaigns, ballot initiatives, and folks who want to 
really do massive scale voter outreach, voter registration, volunteer recruitment programs. Those are really the two sides of the coin that are a part of the role. They're both part of that, that role. Yes. Yeah. Yep. And so when they asked you, why would you be a good person for this? What did you tell them? I think the people who are best positioned to innovate on technology in service of organizing are the people who have a healthy skepticism of technology, who have experience with organizing, and who have experience with technology. I think those three things together help get us past maybe some of the silver bullet promises of the tools and tactics that pop up every cycle and get us into a real thoughtful integration of how can tech follow organizing's lead and be of service to organizing. And I think the different pieces, you know, working in tech, working as a volunteer organizer outside of a demanding tech job, and then working on a good number of campaigns, both on the digital and organizing side, kind of completes those three legs of the stool of skepticism about technology that is healthy, experience with technology, and and experience with organizing. So how would you characterize the culture and the way that people go about working at your new job? And what has surprised you the most about it? Yeah, at Movement Labs, a couple of things that really mark the culture are this healthy ambition to hold down new things for the progressive space. So we're going to try to do this innovative new voter registration program combined with this attention to measurement, randomized control trial, and evidence to say, did this new thing that we tried, did it do what we said it's going to do, or did it fall flat? And let's be honest about that. And I think there's also this really wonderful element of, I think a lot of us are very experienced. We have all these different backgrounds. And a lot of us, I think, are kind of a wonderful band of misfits. A lot of people who did not... Is that because the CEO is kind of a misfit? (laughs) Yeah, I know you've had Yoni on maybe even a couple of times. And I think Yoni has a healthy dose of misfit and a healthy dose of impatience and just a lot of scrappiness that, you know, we're finding the person who's in rural South Carolina, who is just a really hungry rural organizer, or the person who's in Florida, who has been really deeply embedded in some local organizing there and maybe hasn't encountered the tech before, but is sure as hell willing to learn it and dig in. Just finding these kind of scrappy, talented misfits wherever they may be and going beyond this DC-driven view of what the world of organizing and advocacy could look like and um, finding people who are experts at their work, certainly, but who are scrappy and impatient and willing to try something new as well. This morning, my dad said something to me like, why aren't Democrats trying to persuade evangelical voters to come over to us, given how immoral the Republican Party has become in so many ways? And I said, well, I think we do have some initiatives working on that. And it's sort of similar in some of our rural initiatives. What's going on with Movement Labs in terms of reaching out to people who are less reached out to by Democrats and progressives typically? Yeah, I think one 
superpower that we have in this right is that we are not staffing down between election cycles. We have a really long-term view. And so one of the biggest programs that supports this long-term view is a program called Contest Every Race that, that Yoni founded about five years ago. And a quick update on one example of the type of thing that I think underscores this is they're working with 300 plus rural county parties just launched last month, supporting them in a long-term approach to building the rural county parties in those areas, including candidate recruitment, including persuasion, message development, including building infrastructure that will help them do outreach to people who are, in many cases, skipped over as the ripest targets for voter contact on a cycle-to-cycle basis, but doing some of that longer-term work. I also think that because we are not a branded named organization, you know, nationally recognized to the voting public, a federal candidate for office, we have the ability to be a little bit more nimble and to try things that are a little bit odder or try things that it would feel a little more risky to somebody who has constituents that they don't want to piss off, basically. So I think that's another way that we're able to do more innovative persuasion programs, more innovative turnout programs that maybe aren't available to candidate campaigns, basically, because of some of the ways that they want to show up in public. If I had to guess, the direction of a lot of rural counties is not the right one at the moment. It's moving in the other way than efforts like yours would like. A, am I right about that? And B, what gives you hope that we can arrest that and move it back the other way? Yeah, absolutely right. Um, I'd have to pull up the numbers, but you know, the net unfavorability of Democrats in rural counties has gone from something like 10% underwater to something like 30 or 40% underwater in the past decade or so. What gives me hope is the candidate recruitment work through Contest Every Race and the rural party work that's going on there. What gives me hope is seeing other folks who are pushing forward rural organizing, you know, rural organizing project, other folks who are holding this down and who are trying to do something that is that is different than just the, the targeting that happens on a cycle over cycle basis. And I think what gives me hope is, I think at the end of the day, if we reach the right people with our messages on the economy, our messages on abortion, I do think that we've got a much stronger fighting chance than 30 points underwater on those core issues that affect people's everyday lives. So some of it is about just persistently getting in front of the right people. I mean, if that many people have moved in rural counties away from us. One has to wonder if some of the positions and people that are a brand are askew from that kind of audience. Is that, do you think that we have created this problem or do you blame it wholly on the propaganda world on the right or how do you see it? I think we have to own up to the fact that we are not competing in every county, in every state, year in and year out, and that that has a demotivating effect to people who would be with us. I think we have to own up to that. I think we could own up to that, but I sort of doubt that's the story. 
that might be a little bit of the story. But does it? I think we certainly can't just throw up our hands and say it's a national media environment that we don't have much of a chance of meaningfully shaping in the near term. I mean, people are choosing what to watch, right, on their own accord. Obviously, there are places where most of the radio is right wing or most of the TV is right wing. But in general, there's the Internet. You could find what you want to find. What's going on? I mean, are you close enough at all now to to that world to have a good sense of what's going on in it? You know, candidly, I do think there are team members who are more steeped in this than I am. My basic take is that the national media environment matters, that the splintering of online platforms matters to create places where people are no longer hearing a moderating point of view, and that we can do something to combat that to a certain extent, but we have to acknowledge that the exposure to the national media environment is one of the main things impacting many voters. And they are choosing what to watch, but I think there's a hollowing out of options, especially in rural places, if you look at the decline of local news, that is not, they're proactively choosing what to watch. It's the options on the menu are being removed, and the ones that remain are ones that are helping to shape and further this long-term worldview that stoke division based on race and class. If your goal is to or, is to use organizing and use the tools of Movement Labs to have impact here, what do you think the biggest challenge is to success? Specific to the rural areas, I think one of the biggest challenges to success is getting that critical mass of people in every community who can lock arms and offer a meaningful alternative. And I think that there are multiple programs or efforts within Movement Labs, beyond Movement Labs, Courier working on the news, Rural Organizing Project, Contest Every Race, that are all thinking about that same question of, we cannot give up on these places. We need to be in the fight in these places. And I think we are at risk. And one of the biggest challenges is anybody who might be with us might be so demotivated and demobilized by looking around them that they lose that sense of, I have a meaningful chance to shape my community in the direction that I want to see it shaped. So I think projects and programs that reach out to those people and help them connect with one another and lock arms and do something positive, offer an alternative vision of what do politics look like locally? What does mutual aid look like locally? What does showing up for one another look like locally? What does welcoming new people into our community look like locally? Getting those folks together is, is really critical. So if you were talking to someone who feels isolated as, say, a Democrat in a conservative county that's going 85% for Republicans, and it almost feels like there are no progressives there, what do you think is the best thing that that person could do? as a volunteer say? A lot of it involves moving from an individualistic view of volunteering to, you know, person A does activity A for three hours in the election cycle to a networked view of volunteering and connection and relationships has me say the best thing they could do would be to find some critical mass of two other people to get something going locally. And whether that something is actually 
a mutual aid outreach project that is not branded as Democrat, but is just in its very design progressive because of who you're seeking to serve and welcome, that might be the next thing that's meaningful. It's about finding the meaningful but winnable next step in every community and taking that on. In some communities, that's going to be putting somebody up for city council in the town. It's going to be putting somebody up for county board there. In some communities, it's going to be moving that margin from 85-15 to 80-20 on a statewide race, which that five percentage points margin change in a rural county, a red county, counts every bit as much as it counts in a purple county, every bit as much as it counts in a blue county. Well, depending on the sizes, but yeah. Uh, Sure, yeah. yeah. Each vote is valuable. Each vote is valuable. That's exactly right. And the meaningful and winnable next step for every person locking arms with other people is probably the best thing. And that's going to look different based on the unique political environment in each county. You talked earlier about sort of being interested in using scientific tools to determine whether or not what you're doing is working. When you're talking about this kind of effort, trying to get people to contest races, whatever locking arms means, but trying to organize in areas where people are not organized as much as they should be. How can you know if that's helpful or not? How can you measure that? Yeah. And and locking arms, I would just say, is volunteering together and building community on an ongoing basis because individual volunteers will burn out and will lose a sense of meaning. That's what I'm attempting to refer to there. One of the best pieces of evidence that we have is that there is a reverse coattails effect to candidate recruitment. And what reverse coattails means is when you have somebody competing at the bottom of the ticket, that actually helps the statewide candidates and the national federal level candidates as well. Are we sure that that's a a real effect? The best evidence that we have comparing counties where we did this large scale candidate recruitment and, you know, we reached out to tens of millions of people, got 250 some thousand hand raisers to say, I'm interested in running for office or doing something about this. And actually 5,500 people filed for office. The best research that we have compared those counties where we did it to matched counties that didn't do it. It was not a randomized control trial, but it was a synthetic control. Indicates that there may be a 3% reverse coattails effect, three percentage points of of vote share. And if you think about that 85-15 county that you mentioned, it doesn't seem so far-fetched. We're definitely always interested in studying this program more, but that is the, the best estimate that we have from the research that we've done and gotten externally um, evaluated as well. Do you think there's enough going on in studying this kind of work in the progressive space? Absolutely not. I think there are tremendously many helpful pockets of research that we participate in, you know, Climate Advocacy Lab, Analyst Institute, doing terrific work. Both those organizations are thinking about long-term organizing and trying to set an agenda for long-term organizing. And also, I think organizers are hungry for much more knowledge than what we currently have about how to recruit volunteers, how to retain volunteers, how to build long-term power between election cycles. So part of my mandate is building an organizing research agenda that we're participating in 
where we're leading and doing experiments to say, you know, we just launched an experiment to say, if you're trying to recruit people by text, how much does it help to show those same people a set of ads and splitting out a control and a test group there? That's a very simple experiment. Even longer term, one of my top questions is, how do we get people to do hard things in volunteering? And Movement Lab certainly has a reputation for being really connected to texting. So you might think it's odd that I would say, how do we get people to do things that are more important than sending text messages? Because in the 2024 cycle, actually volunteers sending text messages is not as valuable or important as it was based on changes in the text messaging technology. There's a lot more that can be done by the platforms themselves. We need far fewer volunteer hours on texting in the 2024 cycle. How do we get them to do harder things that the analyst institute research would point in the direction of phone banking or relational organizing are ways for specific volunteers to best contribute to the 2024 election cycle? So we're doing experiments over the next six months to prepare for what's going to be most effective in the 2024 cycle. I imagine someone listening to this might lose the thread of why you're doing what you're doing and what the bigger purpose is and how is this going to help the humans that are organizing and being organized. Can you help me get back to what is the driving mission here and how does this fit? Our mission is to crush fascism, to win dignity for working people, and to you know fight every harmful ism that exists at a really high level. The thread is to say, we know that a lot of money is going to be spent on reaching out to voters and reaching out to volunteers. And what we're focused on doing is how can we do that? in a way that is evidence-based and connects to organizing at scale. Because what we've seen in too many past election cycles is reaching out to tens of millions of voters, getting folks enthused, supportive, and not having a system to follow up and engage folks for the long term. So really, if folks took away one thing, what are we about? It's about long-term power building and organizing at scale. And I, I'm basically here to say, digital tools are not a cure-all for this. They're not a silver bullet. They're not a replacement for relationships or organizing. But when they're wielded thoughtfully, they can feed a really impressive organizing program. If a listener has similar goals and needs help in moving them forward, how would they engage with you to try to do that? Or do you only generate your own projects? We've got both. We've got a, a number of different ways. But on the program side, we run multiple grant cycles a year to Black-led organizations, to advocacy organizations that can apply for support to do this type of outreach work at a larger scale. On the kind of sales partnerships, business development side, they can absolutely just reach out and, and contract. I mean, many folks contract movement labs for help. So those are the two sides of we're running programs, experiments that we're pushing. And those are the ones that we, based on what we see as gaps in the progressive space, what we incubate, what we do, contest every race is an example of that. Large scale randomized control trials on what works best to turn out voters, to register voters. That's another example of a program that we run internally 
We're putting our own skin in the game as a progressive kind of firm and family of organizations. The grants is another example of that program side, but certainly many people approach movement labs and contract movement labs on the sales and partnership side to run large-scale digital organizing texting programs. Kevin, what else should I have asked you that I haven't? It's hard for me to separate my intense curiosity to learn more about your perspective on these very many things, which I imagine you have a lot of really smart stuff to say about. I feel very curious about that from what else might I have to say. I think there's a lot of important discussion about the few fundamental digital outreach tools are on rapidly shifting ground, right? Social media, email, text, ads. There have been major, major shifts in each of those four spaces, both legally and in terms of the practices of the main providers that mean the set of strategies that worked in 2016 or 2020 will not be the same set of strategies in 2024. I think Movement Labs has a particular lot to say on the texting front. Certainly my experience is is across all four, but deepest in the texting and the ads. I think any practitioner would do well to think about those things right now because they result in dramatic differences in terms of, are you reaching who you're trying to reach basically? When I asked you about sort of the, the big mission, you dropped a couple words about fighting fascism or something along those lines. And I guess if someone had said that to me for 2015 or something like that, I might've been like, wow, that's an over the top little clause or something. But when the former president who denied election results and seems to have a, a hankering to be an authoritarian is, you know, 50, 50 shot at being the next president, even with multiple indictments and has a kind of a knack for turning his mistakes into successes by making nice mugshots or whatever, or some people somehow seem to think adopting the Jack Nicholson glower is the the way to go. There is a decent chance that we could slide massively far in the wrong direction if he wins and brings in his cronies. How do you fit yourself into this when the stakes are so high, when it's hard to get purchase on the big stuff, when you're doing the tactical stuff that that is important that you're doing? Like how do you how do you think about like the fate of the country and do your important but smaller job? I think it's about being really honest with ourselves about what's working and what's not. And I think our team, we have taken on the mandate to generate 100,000 net democratic votes in battleground states in the 2024 cycle. And that's our lane breaking off a chunk that we think is an ambitious but attainable target for us that we think fits into this bigger picture of crushing and stopping fascism. So as an organizer, I think that the tendency is always to say, what's your vision for the world? And then what's the meaningful but winnable thing that we can do? So I think as a team fighting off these goals, um, 100,000 net democratic votes in in battleground states, meaningfully contributing to 10,000 additional volunteer shifts in the 2024 cycle with 
at least one or multiple partner organizations who are really going to put those volunteer shifts to good use. Those are the types of things where that makes sense. Our lane in the bigger picture makes sense. And I can see the connection between something that is right in front of me that I know I can do. And there are a lot of really smart and hardworking people working on this all over the country and they're doing their part as well. Is there anybody else at your organization I should talk to? Candidly, I feel like um, talking to, to Lauren Getford on the Contest Every Race and Rural piece. Lauren is so savvy on this and I'm a bit newer. And in particular, I've been diving into the organizing research agenda to texting services for clients. And, and I think Lauren is just really deep on the Contest Every Race program and the rural piece to, to the extent that I almost think we should just get her take on all of those things. Lauren was the, the Missouri director of the Democratic Party and was the director of the Rural Power Lab within Movement Labs, which was a project that then kind of became a part of and is now, she's now the director of Contest Every Race in that program. Maddie Eden's the chief technology officer, I think is co-founded Civitech. I didn't know Civitech had a co-founder. Yeah, yeah. And she's still really close with Jeremy. And she's one of the people thinking most thoughtfully about how can automation in this space allow organizers and volunteers to do their best work? April Harley has just been around fundraising and leadership roles for a couple decades. A fair amount going on in your organization, I guess. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me about it. I hope people will be interested. Is there anything else you want to say? I super appreciate you putting the show together and all of your various efforts over the years to, to contribute to the progressive side of the house. And I appreciate you taking the time. Thank you. That was Kevin. He's at movementlabs.com. This is Nathaniel G. Perlman with the Great Battlefield podcast. You can find us at greatbattlefield.com or by searching for Great Battlefield in places where podcasts are found. The Great Battlefield is now part of the Democracy Group Podcast Network. Visit democracygroup.org to learn more about other podcasts that cover democracy and civic engagement. You can also help me by leaving comments and good ratings on Apple Podcasts or elsewhere, and by sending me suggestions for great guests to nperlman at gmail.com.